Ready to hit it? Hit it, ready. This is Pet Sunday School. See that? Just sneaks up on you. Mm-hmm. You all set? You got this all ready? Here we go. Brothers, sisters, siblings, welcome to Penn Sunday School. I'm Matt Donnelly. Godot is away, and we are broadcasting from Show Creator Studios South here in Las Vegas. Very special guest. Welcome, welcome back, Paul Provenza and our new friend Dan Pasternak. And they are here representing their podcast, The Obsessive Comedy Disorder. And we're going to talk to them. They're going to talk to us. It's going to be like nothing you've ever heard. I'm preaching the love, and now that I preach the love, I'm turning it over to Paul Provenza. It's your show. Nice to see you. It's been too long since we've been in the same room. Very long time. Yeah, I, even right. re- I was trying to think what the last time was. I don't remember. Ages, ages. Uh, you look good. Good. You look good too. You're going through some political shifts and changes. Yeah, yeah. these are all very disconcerting for me. <laughs> <laughs> it just there's nothing to hold on to anymore. I, but I don't, you know, I don't know, you know, when you're changing yourself, it doesn't feel that way. Yeah, 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 yeah I know. It's just, true. You kind of slide through. And yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, you can't see from the inside. No. But, uh, but you're, but you're pretty conscious of the changes. Yeah, because I get yelled at. I get reprimanded. <laughs> Uh, people are keeping me conscious whenever I go. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Maybe it's okay if fewer people get sick. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? <laughs> so yeah, so we're uh, here here in Vegas, which has been been a long time too. Yeah. I haven't been. Uh, I've had no desire to get on a plane, and so we uh, we drove from L.A., broke a record. Did you? Eleven hours. Oh. Eleven kind of hours. Rain? Eleven hours. Yeah, no. We thought it was rain. Turns out a truck full of lithium-ion batteries exploded. <laughs> Shoot, I need and those. burned to uh, a skeleton of uh, a chassis. There was actually a hazmat team on the road, still cleaning up when we drove past at like one in the morning. Wow! Wow! Eleven hours. Can you believe it? Yeah. Mm. I should have just gotten COVID. Got yeah. on a plane. Got COVID. <laughs> But uh, you're worth it. Well, thank you. 11 hours, a long time from LA. <sighs> Crazy. I came to the conclusion that uh, I really hate humanity. I uh, absolutely despise but hasn't humanity. hasn't that been that way for a long time? Thank you. It's worse. It's gotten worse. <laughs> it's gotten worse. Now I include myself. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm in the pack. <laughs> and what are the, uh, what are the major things you hate about humanity? Oh, I just, uh, I don't, I, I can't put it into words. If I could, I would be Joni Mitchell, <laughs> but, I, but I can't. My itchy vagina, that's a big part of it. Uh, just, yeah, no, I, the older I get, the more I want to just be on a, on a beach someplace, you know, weaving baskets and maybe tending bar, you know. It's, uh, I'm ready to very different skill sets, just so you know. <laughs> You've never been to my bar. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I just, uh, I don't know. Pandemic has definitely changed things. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely changed things. Uh, first of all, you know, this country doesn't work anymore. This country is Soviet now. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I think I think uh, I think I said this to you. Many people have said it to me. The idea that we're losing our democracy is is foolish. We, we've lost it. Yeah. Uh, and now that they've put people in to count votes and they, um, they're proud of it. Yeah. That, oh, yeah. That's the part that, that, oh, that's the part I always said, I always felt that, um, things would be better if people told the truth. Now I realize that's wrong. <laughs> when they actually come out and say you're racist, I like it less than when you pretended you weren't. It's so, it's so interesting. It's it's like, where is the outrage at the 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 truth that people are saying? People are just taking it in stride. Well, there's this weird thing now where um, I, I I'm really bothered by the whole idea of winning. You know that that basic idea that you can't do anything unless you win. Yes, and winning is not important. When Nixon said, you know, um, winning is not everything, it's the only thing, and there's no second place, there's only first loser, all that kind of shit. Um, Rob Pike, who we both know well, uh, who, who worked at Google, said that um, there hasn't been enough talked about how important losers are in every discussion. And Google 
in Google, there was a big discussion on how ads were done. Mm -hmm. And of the founders, I don't know which one was which, one of them wanted there to be no ads. And the other one insisted that there be ads. And the one who insisted on the ads won. That was the way Google was done. Mm -hmm. And the discussion won. But the part that's that's more important than that. Any dipshit can think of the idea of having ads. The guy who lost said the ads have to be done tastefully. They have to be done out of the major push. They have to be done to the side. They have to be marked clearly as ads. Laid all this stuff out, which is what made Google successful. Right. It was all the points put in by the loser. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. The yeah. winner had no great idea. Right. What his right. idea was? Let's make money off this. Right. That was the end of right. the idea. The well, loser said, "Let's do it right." It's it's it is kind of shocking how that 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 is such a, a powerful force. Uh, uh, this idea of winning, and I think it's insidious. Like hey, we're number one, we're number one. What's wrong with number three? I bet the number three country in the world is doing is, is having a perfectly fine life and a lot less stress. You know, <laughs> I I don't understand why number one is so fucking important. It's all also the time. I've said this to you many times. Well, when you and I are going out, we don't need the best pizza. We do not need the best pizza. Well, you know, uh, I've been working on this show set list, Mm -hmm. uh, which we did a series in England and we haven't, uh, we we do it live here and whatever. But the whole premise of it is we write a set list. The comedian gets it while they're on stage Mm -hmm. and they have to improv the set that goes with Mm -hmm. it as if it's a set they they already have. Great idea. And we brought it to uh, American networks and uh, almost to a person, they wanted to turn it into a competition. And we kept saying, it's not about a competition. It's not about who's better or who wins or who gets more points. It's about the process. It's about the experience of just being creative, you know, with something out of left field. And it was like, it was like talking to, you know, wood. They just, <laughs> they, they, their eyes would glaze over and they, they couldn't understand the concept of not having a winner. Mm-hmm. So frustrating. And that idea that, that the, the, the evangelicals, who you would think, and I, I still want to believe this, have, if nothing else, a moral center, maybe a moral center that I disagree with, but a moral center, where Trump can win, divorced, liar, right. scumbag, but he can win for us. Right. And they made a bet on that, and by the way, they won. Right. They won without a moral center. Right. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. they got four fucking Catholics on the Supreme Court. Well, you know, it's, remember, remember when a Catholic president had to come out and say, don't worry about me being Catholic? Yeah, remember yeah, that? Yeah. Wow, man, what happened? Yeah. It's funny because I read all this chatter. Uh, there's this big conversation, which should have happened 100 years ago, about, you know, well, they're not really Christians, you know? Yeah. And I don't know if you know uh, Chrissy Stroop. No. Uh, well, she's a big, uh, she's a terrific writer, and she's a big proponent of like, no, no, no. They are Christians. They are Christians. They cannot be excused and taken out of the fold. If you identify as a Christian, this comes with that territory. No true Scotman. No, 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 it's exactly that. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and it's just shocking that uh, um, as you see this unfold, I mean, we've watched it unfold over just a couple of decades, really not that long. We watched it unfold. And uh, it's just shocking to me that n- nobody from that community has stood up and ma- you know had any impact in saying, "What are you talking? This is you, you, we're 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 red. You're talking blue. We're we're black. You're talking white. What do you? T- this is the opposite of everything that we've been saying. You know, mm. it's just it's I don't know. It's just shocking. But yes, that's all about the winning at all costs. Winning at all costs. Yeah, but it's Which the organizing is principle is the end justifies the means. I suppose. Yeah, uh, and it's also. Uh, one of my pet peeves is the idea of evil. Uh, there's no such thing as evil at all. I, I believe real evil is a religious concept. And evil is a way to excuse people who make bad decisions. And also, once you've branded the other side evil, anything you do to vanquish them is then an okay Rushes. thing. Right. Right. The end justifies the means. But once you've labeled the other side as evil, you've, you've, you've made your, I mean, it's, it's a cliche, I guess, to say that the, one of the worst things about Hitler was he made his enemies just like him. Mm-hmm. And boy, when I would hear my liberal friends talk about Trump, you know, that punch a Nazi shit, mm-hmm. you know, when the punch a Nazi thing became okay. 
No, it's not okay to punch a Nazi, you stupid asshole. And you believe that too. You know. Well, you know, at some point you're gonna have to punch a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like I, I, this, or this I whole. Penn was speaking the royal you, not this, Paul so, Provenza yeah, you. Uh, 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 I am the royal you. <laughs> uh, um, um, uh, this whole thing about Ukraine, you know, this, uh, there's actually debate about, you know, Ukraine. Should we support Ukraine? Should we send them more arms or whatever? And like, uh, you know, you know, I'm a pacifist. I don't believe in. Any of that. I think, you know, war is in, insane and it's, it's just, it's just, yeah. but I can't help but saying, you know, if we had stopped Hitler at Poland, the world would be a very different place, you know? So it kind of feels like, well, if you're going to go all in, go all in. As the Jew in the room, sorry, <laughs> I always like to start a sentence with that. I feel it gives me some power. Um, as the Jew in the room. Wrong just, room. Oh. <laughs> is it hot in here or is it me? Well played. Um, I just like to say, still to this day, whenever we talk about the worst evil, it's always Hitler. I just think it's interesting. It's like when every band comes out and like they're the new Beatles. Like, no, they're not because you're saying they're the new Beatles. If BTS was the new Beatles, then the next band would be, oh, they're the new BTS. <laughs> no, nope, the Beatles became the benchmark. Hitler is the benchmark for evil. He still is. So Hitler won. Going there back you go. to your whole thing about there winning. If, if every evil is compared to, oh, this guy's worse than Hitler. This one's Hitler. That one's Hitler. No, you, you're and, not because. And Paul would say it's okay to be second or third place dictator, <laughs> right? Listen, I think I think Mussolini has gotten the show. <laughs> Mussolini, very no, underrated. No, no. Uh, very as, underrated as far as uh, As the Italian go. in the room. As the Italian <laughs> in the room. I always, I always felt, yeah, this is my, you know, my analogy is uh, Hitler is to Mussolini as Elvis is to the black race. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, uh, I uh, once going to be people diagramming that one for a while. I once, uh, I once submitted myself to uh, to a script. Uh, there was a they were doing a biography of uh, of Mussolini, and I submitted myself, but I submitted my picture upside down. <laughs> They were doing a biopic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. making it into a rom com. I yeah, why? Well, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, you, well, that's my point. Is that you know Mussolini? Really, he, he's not getting his due. I mean, you know, Hitler definitely ripped off Mussolini, and so Mussolini sort of relegated. And uh, where do you know, put Stalin in there? Uh, well, <sighs> killed more people. Killed more people. Yeah, but I don't know. The kids like him. The stash. The kids like him. Uh, um, I'm uh, saying for people who are into the data, you know, that's true. I know. You, you, you I know. can't take you can't take him, you know, off that top shelf. Well, the the worst thing about Stalin is that people now use him as an excuse for uh, anti atheism. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, uh, and I, I keep trying to explain. No, those are really two entirely different issues. There, you know, but uh, so that's why I have a thing about Stalin. It's really it's more personal than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> Fucker owed me money. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> well, that's, here's a question that I've I've asked um, I've asked friends of mine who are pacifists, and some of them answer instantly with no trouble, and some of them uh, stumble over it. You are living in L.A. and pick a country, Mexico, or pick Nevada, are invading you, like um, like uh, Russia in Ukraine. Do you fight? Well, yeah, I mean, I, th I you know, I, I or do you, you split? Can, oh, me personally? Oh, I, I no, no, I don't. I, I'm not talking I, at I, all generally. Oh, talking oh, oh. Paul prevents. Listen, you do not want me on the front line. <laughs> it is not. I am not the guy for that. I'm not the guy. Start again. As the Italian of the room. <laughs> Follow me. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm not the guy you want. You, you want to get somebody else for that? Yeah. I, I, I think, I think I leave. Matt Donnelly. I probably fight. Fight. Yeah, I. I Especially, you know, the way we went down there, right? Was that they basically said, like, if you're a guy, don't leave and stay. It was kind of the rule that they put in place mm -hmm. early there. Yeah, well, they don't know this guy. Me? Yeah. Again, as the Jew in the room, I, let me just quote the uh, Jackie Mason bit about uh, you never see, like a, like, a group of black guys walking down the street and go, oh, watch, there's a Jew coming the other way. Like, you know, yeah, I'm hiding in the attic working on my diary. Yeah. For the cause. I shouldn't be the one fighting. <laughs> I'm just going to screw it up. You don't want to depend on me. I'll, I'll put me in the supply lines. Let me, let me bring you the shit you need. That's my position in that. 
Well, you know, you, you know, and that's not, and that's not like a moral conscientious objection thing. That's just, no, trust me, I suck at that. <laughs> well, you know, the studies that have been out about the Civil War are uh, remarkable. How few weapons were fired during battle uh-huh. with people actually shooting at you? Many people, I think, like sixty percent, would just keep reloading their guns and never firing them. They found all these guns. Now, everybody who's firing a musket loader knows that you put the bullets in, fire it, put the bullets in, and fire it. There's no way you can make a mistake and reload the gun. Uh They found all these guns with like four or five loads of them that had never been fired. And they also- Just stalling? They were stalling. You know, there's Uh, With people shooting at them. Oh. They could not bring themselves to point a gun at another person, pull the trigger, even when being attacked. And the remarkable thing is they found that anybody who was able to do that had five people helping them, loading the gun, handing it to them, and so on. It is, and it's it's incredibly positive thing to read, yeah. is that you cannot get the average person to kill another person under any circumstances. I mean, that was, it was that same sort of insubordination during the Vietnam war as well, right? Uh, the conscripts right, that, that, right. that would never fire. Right. And that's why killing at a distance, bombing and stuff helps tremendously. Right. And also they got good at it. Uh, Americans especially got really good at their training, making people kill no matter what. So by Afghanistan, it was solved. Oh, Vietnam, sure. it was turning. I mean, it seems like drones win the, win the day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The interesting thing about the Civil War, one of the interesting things about... So I lived in Atlanta for three years and hadn't really like dug into that history. And so much of it, and it applies today, but you can see how far back we go. So much of what we know about the Civil War is like gone with the wind. Like the whole burning of Atlanta. There's so much mythologizing right. around the burning of Atlanta. You know that most of Sherman's march to the East Coast was really straight down the railroad lines. So they weren't burning people out of their homes like you're seeing in Gone with the Wind, but that's what people have come to believe. And Southerners in their own sort of self-martyring have perpetuated that. But what Sherman's army was really doing was pulling up the railroad because the reason Atlanta was important is it was a major destination in terms of uh, railroads. It was terminus before that with all of the convergence of all the railroads. So what he would do is his army was pulling up lengths of railroad track and they would bend it so it could never be reused. They called it Sherman's bow tie. And they would tie these lengths of, uh, of uh, track around trees, but they weren't burning people out of their homes. And so much of, again, what I think we have come to believe is because this sense of winners and losers and who is evil and you know who who has been aggrieved has been largely fictionalized right yeah well what is well, that there, the, there's a word for that phenomenon it was it was a conscious effort to rewrite the history uh i forget what it's called i, I, I don't know how to look up something that you don't know what it's called uh, um that's a very frustrating well, i know thing. the word for that you know um, do you know the word it's like the like the great something like the great replacement, but it's like the uh, the big something. Well, by the way, the the tying the railroad as as the hungry person in the room, the tying the <laughs> railroad tracks in a bow tie is actually starving people. It may not be burning their houses down, but it is starving them. But I just think it's it's a different reality than the history sure, that's sure. been perpetuated. Sure. Yeah. Now we're we're waiting for for. Uh, don't wait for me. For next to. <laughs> you really are looking at the lost cause narrative. The lost cause. The oh, lost yeah, cause yeah. narrative. Like all these Confederate statues that uh, uh, people are in recent times, you know, decrying, they were all put up in the early 20th century. Right. You know, it's all that was all just rewriting history, and uh, and this whole myth of the lost cause is that the South was wronged. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, and making heroes out of a. I'm telling you, what, there were people really, when I was living down there that still referred to it as the War of Northern Aggression. Yeah. The War of Northern Aggression. Yeah, and that's and that's but, all, and that's coming talk, home to roost now. Can we just talk a little bit about the only president who might have been worse than Trump? Let's see. Who, Lincoln. Who are we thinking of? Oh, oh, you think? Lincoln. You think? Yes. Well, the Southern that? states want to go away. Uh huh. Good. <laughs> that's all Lincoln had to say. 
Sayonara. Bye. Bye. Or or once they win, you win the civil war. You don't say, "Come on back, do whatever you want." Now that say, I, that for sure. You say, "Come on back," and guess what? And guess what? Each get one senator. That's all. Uh huh. Imagine if they'd done that. Yeah, that was and that was done in order to unify the country, where which means that basically they got all scot free. Look at us go. And and, and that <laughs> I know. You know right? what? Now I'm glad they shot him. <laughs> what's that <laughs> what did he say there's still time <laughs> yeah yeah no that's uh, that, yeah i don't see any reason why we can't have more than one country on this continent it's a big continent we, we already we, are, we already do i know we already do yeah <laughs> i know and uh you know they asked hitchens and this just fucked me up you know hitchens wrote the uh, big book on jefferson and they asked Hitchens, if Jefferson were alive today, what would shock him the most? <laughs> and he said that we hadn't conquered Canada. <laughs> and he said, and he was in no way kidding. I totally believe it. I, no I, way kidding. If you wanna... Jefferson wanted to expand. Sure. He would have thought, you fucking pussies. You <laughs> couldn't take Canada? I already got you, Alaska. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, that's that whole manifest destiny mm. thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, which has been a part of uh, yeah, the mythology from the Something beginning. Something else, I don't believe. Which, uh, by the way, <laughs> the whole concept of the Manifest Destiny, it's Liebesraum. I don't know. What does that the, mean? The, the, uh, the aspect of Nazism that was, <laughs> uh, the Germans needed living room, you know? Yeah. So that justified them taking over the rest of Europe. Mm. It's the same thing. Yeah. I, uh, I, the, uh, the conquering thing. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I'm not, yeah. not, not, not a, not, well, you know, there's this, and I can't find this from anybody but Bob Dylan. Okay? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I'm not sure it's false, but Bob Dylan claims, and I've looked for this other places that Tony Bennett was asked to sing the Star Spangled Banner at a ball game. And he responded that he wouldn't do it because Bombs bursting in air, man. Not my thing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, good for you, Tony Bennett. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've Bob, never heard that. Bombs no, bursting in air, that. man. Wow. Not my thing. But I think it all the time. It's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, pledging allegiance to a flag right out of the gate, you know, that was nightmare for me. But that's also late. That's late yeah, shit. 50s, right? Yeah, late yeah. shit. All that stuff comes in, in God we trust in the coins. Right. Comes in late. And that's all anti-communism. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's all that. Uh, and as I was saying, uh, you know, I was talking to Matt earlier, uh, the weird thing about living in a theocracy, which is what we're going toward, right. is that we now have the largest atheist population America's ever had and the least church attendance America's ever had. So it's 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 crazy. Well, I, I always quote you on that. You always said that all of this stuff is 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 basically just a, a slow moving last gas. Yeah, the death throes. Yeah, yeah. That's just uh, I just I I, I kind of knew that, but I didn't think it would be this ugly. You know, my friend Andy Andrist, hilarious comedian. He's really great. Uh, he said uh, he went to when he was a kid. He was raised as a you know born again, and uh, he went to christian school and camp and all that and he said they always used to say to us that you know there will come a day when the non-believers are persecuting us the christians and he just goes but they never mentioned that they really have it coming to them <laughs> <laughs> well that, that's that's the other thing is that the christians still manage to claim the persecution thing. It's shocking. When, oh, my God. When all the Romans, I didn't know this. You know how many Christians the Romans killed, like, all together? Not many. And they were just, like, they were just. Thousands. And But but they were, like, cast in a show. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But it was, like, all together. Right. Over hundreds of years, maybe a thousand. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then the Christians did the Crusades. Right. Where they did better than that. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, I know. It's just, and it's also transparent, but just like the, you know, the, like the, um, uh, the civil war mythology around, it, it's also transparent. It's like, are people like somehow making the choice to believe this shit? <laughs> I mean, it's, how could you, how could you rationally believe half of this shit? It's un, where you are with CRT these days, my friend, as, as a father with children in school. 
oh, uh, uh, critical, critical race theory. theory with this big, this big hoo ha, which is basically now has become conflated with just teaching history. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't know how a, a college level, uh, you know, course like that has somehow been conflated with that. Nevada has a myriad of education problems. Yes, <laughs> but, like uh, not being able to teach anybody anything. <laughs> Is one of our problems here. But I'll tell you, um, one of my children came home from school. I know I was going to a parent's night, which is what, one of the things you get to do uh-huh. uh, when, you're, uh, when you have children. And I'm at the parent's night walking around, and we go to the history room. We're going to history. And uh, I was told by my child, they said, um, yeah, all you need to know about history is all white men are assholes. And I said, Norman Burlock. Norman Burlock. I said, you know, saved more people than anybody else in history and almost all of a different race than he is. Norman Burlock. So just, you can go with that, but just carve out Norman Burlock. Obviously, the attack of critical race theory is fucking insane. But there is this victim lens now uh, that is, that is equal, not maybe not equally disturbing, but it's also disturbing that the way you get the most power now is to be a victim. Right, right. And, uh, and and we've actually, we've talked about this in the past. We've seen this brewing to this point. Mm. Like we kind of watched it and it was kind of an interesting thing to see. And we can't, I don't think we knew it would get to where it's but going. But now you have got to. Yeah. I believe if you're 17 years old, you have got to find something that makes you a victim or you have no power whatsoever. None. Yeah. Whether that's being trans, you know, transgender, whether that's being gay, whether that's being a, a race, whether that's being something, you have to find a way because the the glories in, in, vic, in victim. What we're saying is, I don't want there to be winners, and I don't want there to be victims. Right. I want there to be individuals. Yes. Yeah. And that is the really hard thing to get a hold of. Yeah. Yeah. Because of course, individuals don't win anything. Uh-huh. You know, individuals cannot have power. The flip side of that, of course, it, it, it is what's really weird is that now you have, you know, arch conservative, you know, people playing the victim. Oh, yeah. Which is really hilarious. Well, you remember when we did, uh, well, we did the thing, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Bill Donahue, you know, that crazy Catholic League guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. When we did the, um, the, the, the Vatican show on bullshit, which has disappeared, by the way. Showtime never put it out, never on a DVD. They just buried it. It was no, on Netflix. It all started on Showtime. It, it was on Netflix, wasn't it? No. <laughs> Didn't they move it to Netflix? Nope. Oh. Not that episode. Gone. Gone. No, no, not, not, none of them went to Netflix. It's still on Showtime, but just gone. Gone, gone, gone. And um, I, it was very embarrassing the way I found out. You know, I was on uh, Opie and Anthony. Remember Opie and Anthony? Sure. I was on their show, and they said I was promoting the new uh, season of Bullshit coming out on DVD. And they said, it's interesting because the Vatican show isn't on this. And I went, well, yes, it is. It's the whole season is on there. And they went, no, it isn't. I said, well, the whole season is put out on the DVD. That was part of the last season. Of course, it's on there. And they hand me the DVD on on the air. And I go, the Vatican show isn't on here. <laughs> they said, yeah, we just told you that. They said, why? I said, why? Well, I, I can't give you a why because I didn't even know it was true. So Glenn calls Showtime, you know, and of course there is no Showtime, but the one particular person and said, uh, Penn was just on Opie and Anthony and they just asked him why the Vatican show wasn't on there. He didn't have an answer. Why is the Vatican show on there? And they and he said, what should he say? And they said, no comment. And Glenn said, he can't say no comment. It's his show. She said, no, no, I didn't mean he should say no comment. I meant <laughs> we're saying no comment. comment. He said, you're not going to tell them anything? They said, no. So you're sending him out to do press, and you won't give him the information on why he's doing press for something that didn't come out. But the Vatican show came out. We also did some, some jokes at a private party. And then what they do is they say, you know, if Penn and Teller said this, about about blacks mm-hmm. or about Muslims, you would never allow them on TV. But Christians, it's okay to do racism against them. And you go, no, it's not racism, you stupid fucker. We're talking about a religion, which by the way, since we're on that, you're not a Jew. 
but let's let's I mean let's put that aside. I'm not. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. It's going to be a I big just, day for you, Dan. I just, I just, I, I just don't believe. There's a gift bag waiting for me on the way out with my foreskin. <laughs> hey, Matt Donnelly. Yeah. Let's take a little break in this Provenza extravaganza. Yes. And talk about Stamps.com. Finally. You know, just because the New Year's here does not mean the holiday rush is over. Nope. Doesn't mean that at all. January means dealing with customer emails, returns, gift card purchases, and the inevitable increase in postage costs. Okay? So print your own postage right from home. You know, I'm talking about Stamps.com. Of course we're talking you about Stamps.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And don't forget, they have been a sponsor of this show since 2013. Yeah. Ten years of great service. We wouldn't even be uh, doing this if not for Stamps.com. No. They've been very, very helpful. We owe them. Stamps.com is an amazing partnership with USPS, the United States Postal Service. Thank you. And, and UPS for unbeatable rates up to 86% off. Stamps.com automatically tells you what your cheapest and fastest shipping options are. No guessing, no overpaying, no thinking Thank required. You. That's why you're really good at it. 100%. You use it all the time, don't I you? I do. A stress-free solution for every small business. Use Stamps.com to print postage whenever you do business. All you need is a computer and printer. They even send you a free scale, so you'll have everything you need to get started. Anything you get. But either of us are related to it in any way comes from Stamps.com. Start the new year by saving serious money on mailing and shipping. Get started with Stamps.com today. Sign up with promo code 10 for a special office that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and enter the code 10. Stamps.com, pen, do it. The NFL playoff picture is locked in, and my go-to place for wildcard round action is DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off the road to Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get 200 free bets instantly. I have no idea what I just said. Oh, Matt. sure you do. No, I don't. NFL is National Football League. That's right. Picture is locked in, my go-to place. What's that mean? <laughs> the regular season is over, and now it's down to the teams that have qualified to try to win the Super Bowl, right? Wild card round? Wild card means they didn't win the division, but they still get to play because their records were good. DraftKings Sportsbook is where you should bet? Yep, that's okay. what I'm betting. And what Super Bowl 50, 50, that's Super Bowl. You know 50, Super Bowl yeah, 57. I just yeah. didn't know what 57 yeah, meant. Yeah. That's not the year, that's the number of Super Bowls. But you want to put, yeah, it is the number of Super Bowls. But the yeah. most important thing here, you bet five bucks yeah. And you get 200 bucks in free bets instantly. Yeah, that's the thing. is, I'm going to put my smart money on either like the Chiefs or the Bills or somebody good, but I'm a Giants fan, they probably aren't going to win. So I'm going to use their money. I'm going to use their money to bet on the Giants. Very smart. <laughs> what else can you tell me about that? Well, they make it super easy. Just download the app. You can enter code PEN. But you just click on any of the teams you're looking at, and you can bet on football, basketball, any of the soccer leagues in Europe. Uh, it's super easy, super fun, and you just and the app is very intuitive, very easy to use. Place any FNL bet of your choice, and you get free stuff from them. Yeah, yeah. So, um, oh wait a minute, there's another deal here. Yeah. You place an NFL bet on your choice, and if it loses, you'll get a free bet back up to ten dollars. Yeah, it's like an attaboy. It's like a do-over. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code PEN. New customers can bet $5 on the NFL and get $200 in free bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code PEN. Okay, now let's go back to talking to Prevents. So basically, it's the Catholic Church crying victim. Yeah. Yeah. Catholic Church is crying victim because it's racism to say there's no God. Racism to, to say that it's just uh, it's just remarkable. It's just yeah. it's just it's just it's just amazing. Well, so what has your experience been with your kids relative to this faux CRT discourse? Uh, never really comes up. Never really comes up. Uh, it's not uh, it's not a big thing in Vegas on either side. Uh, it's not really uh, it's not really discussed. And and I will tell you, Paul Provenza. When you have teenagers, the list of problems that you can envision, <laughs> you never get to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you imagine 
raising teenagers uh-huh. right now, uh-huh. those 500 problems you can list never came up. Right. Because there's 10,000 more <laughs> right. that are a thousand times worse. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so no, that that's not the problem we have. Okay. Yeah, well, all of that is... You know, uh, the local school boards and all that stuff. It's all astroturfed anyway. It's all big, you know, Mercer money and, you know, oh, yeah. hardcore right-wing organizing behind it. And uh, so it's interesting, uh, uh, you know, to see how it filters down, you know, whether or not people like yourself feel it with their kids. Or- yeah, you know, uh, the idea, uh, the idea that schools are a battleground and we have to control what's taught in schools. I don't care whether we're talking as Christians now or atheists or anything. Uh, it's not a battle I've ever gotten behind because the battle seems to be what do I want to fight for to indoctrinate other people's children? Mm-hmm. And I also don't think, maybe I'm. this is just incredibly naive, I don't think schools are that successful. I don't think that the school did a very good job at teaching me what they wanted to teach me. Did you feel they did? You went to a good school, though, so that's you're a whole different thing. Yeah, and it was a little bit... Uh, you went to yeah. a very good school, right? Yeah, I went to a a, a, a school you had to um, test to get into, mm-hmm. and it was science-based. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a really good experience. I, I didn't... I had a really good experience. I don't feel like... And it was public school. It mm-hmm. was not a private school. Mm-hmm. It was public school. I, I didn't I don't understand the issues like I know you had problems you you felt when you were in high school you felt like it was a big waste of time and yeah I was taught I I think we can round it off to nothing but yeah I I, I, I didn't, but see you had real courses and stuff I, I, I guess didn't have, why what, what, what do you mean you, well, you didn't have I, math and science no, and not really because they were doing uh, all this hippie stuff they were trying in rural communities. Oh. So it was open campus, open study. So you'd have a class on Shakespeare and it would all be, what do you think Shakespeare was meaning? Uh-huh. There was some science and so on, but it was very, very sloppy. And it was a, you know, it was a uh, rural American school in the late 60s, early 70s that was 20 minutes from UMass which is a big hippie center with big educational ideas. And they didn't want to try everything at UMass. So they wanted to try it in real America. And all of them were too stoned and high to drive further than 20 minutes. So So they went to Greenfield. So if you had gone to a more conventional public school, you might have an entirely different perspective on this? Uh, I believe, I believe very much that what I, what I craved was a, a difficult school. There was not a test given in our school that I had to read one book for. Uh, there was nothing I learned. And I, 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 I Randy, you know, uh, amazing Randy, mm-hmm. did not go to college and um, did not really finish high school. We're both very much like that. I mean, Randy spent his whole life trying to fill in for not going to high school and college. And I still tense up incredibly when there's something people are talking about like even when you started talking about the history stuff you know i I have to make sure because i taught myself all that you know what book i missed i missed i never got a blanket overview of this stuff and that's one of the reasons i told you i'm learning spanish you know anybody else would have had three years of a a language at some point in school right i didn't i mean we had french nominally we well, you know, this, this is the first time in all the years I've known you. This is the first time I'm I, I, I'm learning that you didn't have a public school experience that most other people had. I guess not. I guess not. I'm actually really relating to this because I went to, I guess, what was regarded as good schools, but I've always sort of identified with people who I guess could best be described as autodidacts, people like Lemmy Bruce and Groucho Marx, who didn't matriculate all the way through school. I did. I just didn't get anything from it, and I'm sort of, sort of hearing that that was your experience. But you know, when you talk to um, Christopher Hitchens or Stephen Fry, who had incredible educations, it's just remarkable. And of course, I tried to bring that up backstage, and Zeke, who works for us, said, "You're not really factoring in that they are geniuses, and you're a fucking idiot." <laughs> 
<laughs> you, that Zeke still working for you? Yeah. Oh, okay. He said that has to be factored in. Uh, yeah. And I yeah, went, yeah. yes, of course. Yeah. But wasn't it some help? That they got? He goes, yeah, but they're also really smart, and you're not. And I went, yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, um, but that's part of the conversation that always sort of gets left out of schools because we, I think we put. Look, my wife is a school teacher. I, I teach at the university level, and I think that there's a certain amount of, like, okay, here's what you're supposed to get from school. Here's some basic data and, like, how to be a human being, like socialization. And then there's a certain amount of personal responsibility that falls to the individual and the parents. There and were, that all kind of never gets stirred into the conversation. Mm -hmm. There was a book book that was out uh, late 80s, maybe, maybe 1989, 1990, maybe, where they had done a study that if you're reading the New York Times, you have like a tenth of a second to pull up where they do a reference, what that means. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not necessarily looking up the word. It was called uh, Cultural Literacy. That's what it's right. called. Oh, Cultural, uh, literacy. cultural yeah. literacy. That book, yeah. yeah. And they put out a book, which I cannot find online, that had codified I, I i have that book yeah yeah and i was going through it really carefully because uh -huh. it's it's really important stuff like when someone says moses right what are the five right. things you need to know to read the rest of the sentence right you know and when they say what are they, what are they talking about what what's the gist of a conversation about postmodern yeah yeah nuremberg right right, right, Any, right. anything like right, that. right. Kiwanis, the footnotes for everything for everything yeah, yeah 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 and you know and they, what they were going for was a new york times reader and i remember being told when i was in new york that if you read the new york times every day you would eventually end up knowing everything, you know, uh -huh. that you needed to know to have uh -huh. a conversation. And, you know, I've given up on sports that I'm not going to know any of the sports Come stuff, on. but I still, you know. oh, I'm with my, that's, that's one thing we definitely connected on. <laughs> but, uh, I do want to, oh, there it is. There He's it is. got it. He's holding up. Dictionary of cultural literacy. It's, it really seems like what's, you know, the idea of a liberal education, college education was not made to prepare people for jobs. It was made Correct. so that young men would be able to talk to each other. It was designed as an ivory tower. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I forget who said it. It's one of my favorite lines that uh, he was talking about somebody who said, so-and-so has had just enough education to be really annoying at cocktail parties. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, th that, that thing. So I went to a school that did not cover uh -huh. any of the cultural literacy stuff. Huh, interesting. Really at yeah. all. Yeah. So I had a, and of course, when I was in... I, I kind of left high school and kind of went, I would drive every day to UMass and sit in on classes. I had long enough hair uh -huh. and, you know, I was big enough. Right, right, that, right. You know, and the, no one gave a fuck at that time. Anyway, I could just wander in and sit. So I sat in on film classes and sociology classes and stuff. And I think now in, in one whole fantasy, you know, I my SATs were rather good. And I, I was a full scholarship to any school I wanted to go to. One of my fantasies is if I had gone to a school where I couldn't have coasted, what that would have changed in me. You know? Right. Yeah, yeah, because this is the first time you've ever really clarified to me that your experience was unique because you always talk about school and dropping out of school and school being worthless and school not being, you know, uh, valuable. And you think and maybe I mean Greenfield High School. <laughs> I, 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 I think you mean you. I think you're talking about you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, have you just recently come to the realization that, that uh, you've been painting all public education with a... <laughs> A brush that perhaps was... When you say recently, you mean in the past two minutes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, very recently. Uh -huh. um, but also, uh, I also find that it's so, it's so confusing uh, what school is supposed to be doing, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Whether yeah the, it's the ivory tower notion is, is, is really gone, and you're right, it's... It, I mean, like I, when I went to college, I went with that attitude of, I just want to study shit. Mm -hmm. And I, I wanted to be a comedian. I knew I was going to go into show business. And I was taking enough courses so that I could go to law school because that would be the second my second choice. So I may as well cover those bases a little bit. But I went completely, you know, it was just a menu for me of shit I wanted to learn. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's not encouraged 
any longer. Well, my, my, my reason for not going to college, and it was really stated, my reason for not going to college was not wanting to be around drugs. Uh, I just said, everybody in my high school was high all the time. Everybody. I was around way more drugs in show business than I ever was in college. Yeah, <laughs> but you could get away from it. I got away from it in college too. Yeah, okay. Uh, I guess I could. You're saying you're weak, is what you're saying. That's right? what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I was just sick of hearing bad music and people <laughs> rambling on about nothing. I was sick of that. I don't know why I'm doing this right now. <laughs> 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 well, that's what drove me to comedy. Yeah. And the comedy filled in all those gaps for me. I wasn't hanging out with anybody who was into drugs unless they were into comedy. And most mm -hmm. of the people who were into comedy weren't into drugs because right. they were into comedy. Yeah. You know, really, comedy changed everything for me. Mm -hmm. it, it just it just sent me down a path uh, that had nothing to do with most of the people, yeah. really. Uh, and you, well, you, were you into, you? okay, this is good. Now we get to our set. <laughs> I, I was wondering when this left turn was yeah. going to happen. Yeah, like, the pre-show is, is over. This is going to be so, okay. this is going to be a, a nine-hour bank show for Ben. <laughs> yes, I want to hear about your origin, you and tell you personally, and then you and Teller's origin story as performers. Because now we get a real good indication of your background as a teenager. It's hard to say. The idea, and this is something that uh, that any city person can't understand. But the idea to me of being in show business in any way, when I first said to my father, and uh, I had a very good relationship with my father, and this is not painting him in a bad light. When I said to my father, I was thinking that I might want to go into show business in some way. He said, so you think you're Johnny Carson? And his view of the world was that the only people working in show business were Johnny Carson. You know, if you didn't come onto his TV, uh, he wasn't, I mean, uh, he was, he was not a fool. He, he understood that there were writers and people like that, but it was a very small group of people. Right. I've said this many times and it's, it's always as a joke, but it's absolutely true. First person I met in show business was me. You know, right, right. there was no model whatsoever in my town for show business. And this sounds like the Lenny Bruce, you know, Capizio shop joke, <laughs> uh -huh. but it really, it really is true. I wanted to study to be a projectionist at the local theater because that was where I thought I could get the closest to show business. That's straight out of the Lime, Ohio bit. Yeah, yeah right out of Lime, Ohio, but true. You know, right. tr absolutely uh, true. And See, for me, it was, I mean, there was, uh, there was nothing immediate about show business. Show business was foreign in, in my family and sure, my neighborhood and all that sort of stuff. But, I did at some point learn it's a subway right away. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's a big difference. Yes, I that's get that. That's a big difference. Yeah. I also, the big thing to me was bootlegs. Bootlegs are everything to me. Because I thought that the Beatles, when they wanted to get an idea, they talked about it, got the idea fully blown, exactly what they wanted Sgt. Peppers to sound like, right? And then they went into the studio and then they had to put that together. It was all done, just had to put it together. And I didn't think there was any sort of experimentation or playing around. So, so bootlegs I, were like textbooks for the creative process. For when me. I first got a comeback, which is the first bootleg I got, a bootleg of Get Back Sessions, and Paul McCartney started singing Hey Jude out of tune, the whole world exploded. When I just went, oh, he, he, had an, he didn't just walk in the studio and lay it down. He, they worked on this shit. So how did you apply that? Well, the idea was you could work on it. I said, boy, if you get five runs at this, I can do this. <laughs> and I also wanted to do something, and this is something no one else understands, because juggling moved into a hippie and jock thing. But when I learned to juggle, uh, which would be when I was 12 years old, which would have been, uh, you know, 67, juggling was of the world of the circus and the freak show. Right. So I taught myself to juggle. And I also thought, geez, if I get really good at juggling, then everybody will say he's a good juggler and they'll let me into show business. <laughs> and so I, I forced my neighbors to learn, Mike Motion and Colin Motion, forced them to learn to juggle, and then immediately started doing shows, nursing homes, did it a five bucks, you know, do a show. Well, why, why juggling as opposed to what every other kid finds, which is music? Ah, I love music. 
I loved, 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 loved music. And um, I listened to music constantly. And I played uh, a little guitar. I played a lot of drums, took a lot of drum lessons. And um, I looked at the hand I was dealt and said, um, I don't have uh, perfect or relative pitch. I can't naturally sing in tune without a lot of work. And um, tunes don't come to me easily. And I'm not uh, good looking. So I think that I can't compete in music. I also thought, which is something that I don't know why this never occurred to Axl Rose, <laughs> but I thought, I love the Velvet Underground. I love Frank Zappa. I love Bob Dylan. There is a Velvet Underground. Uh -huh. There is a Bob Dylan. There is a Frank Zappa. I don't think I can do it better. I don't think I can do it different. So the idea that the uh, Guns N' Roses had of we love the Rolling Stones, let's try to be the Rolling Stones, never occurred to me. I never crossed my mind to want to be less good than my heroes at what they did. And I thought, I can't compete with Bob Dylan. I can't compete with Frank Zappa. I can't compete with the Beatles. But I can compete with a guy at a circus juggling. <laughs> I got a chance against him. You know, it was really that. It was very clearly calculated because the idea of me ever being able to be in the band, I was in the band, but ever the chance of our band being successful, it was an impossibility. So the hand that I was dealt, too tall, you know, I didn't want to play sports. Tall, you know, everybody wanted me to play sports, didn't want to play sports, did not have a natural talent for uh, music. Loved it, loved it, loved it. No natural talent for it. Or not no natural talent, but not, not enough natural talent. What I mean is I knew people in my high school who could sing better than me. Right. So if I knew someone in my high school that could sing better than me, I didn't have a chance. Right. Because if you want to be, you know, clearly Billy Joel, his school had never seen someone more talented than Billy Joel. Uh -huh. And if you're going to Hollywood to be an actor, you sure as fuck better be the best looking person in your high school. Uh -huh. You know, maybe you, you're not Brad Pitt, but you better be better looking than everybody in your high school. I wasn't better looking than everybody in my high school, than more musical talent than everybody in my high school, but motherfucker, I could juggle better. <laughs> were you, among the people in your high school, were you the funniest? Well, that's, that's another thing that is, uh, that when I look back and I found recently some letters I wrote and so on, I did not want to be funny. My goal was to be an intellectual. My goal was to be Sartre and Camus. That's who I wanted to be. I, I, just a quick interjection here. Did you have that same impulse that Carlin always spoke about having, which is that essentially what he's doing as a performer is showing off and saying, look how smart I am because he quit school at a young age. Oh, there's no doubt. He wanted everybody to see how smart he oh, was. Oh, we haven't gotten to that yet. Okay, go ahead. Okay, we haven't gotten to that yet because that's another big step for me. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm behind that. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to, and I planned on, uh, leaving high school and, uh, and going to Europe and writing. I was going to be a writer in Europe. And uh, now we're not... I'm trying to connect that to sure. juggling. It's really hard. Yes, 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 yes. But we're, we're talking two different things. Okay. And this is, I, I don't mean this to sound as unpleasant as it, as it will, but it is, is unfortunately the truth. I have my creative writing class, which is the only class, I'm still friends with the teacher. She's still a good buddy of mine. She was the only class I cared about, and I wrote constantly. And every motherfucking thing I wrote ended up being funny. I would sit there writing and I would always put a turn in. I would always put something else in. It would always be a little bit funny. And I'd get up to do speeches in front of the class, which I did. I did speeches and I wanted to make these really important political points. And I always went to the joke and I always got these laughs. When did you realize that? Uh, constantly. When I got the laugh. In the, the moment. You when, the audience, when the audience were laughing. And I just go, yeah, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to really go into comedy. I want to, uh, so I, then I started juggling. <laughs> and this very very prophetic by the way juggling a great way to make an intellectual political <laughs> point why don't you fuck yourself <laughs> so i started i started juggling and um and uh i mean this is this is 
this is my whole career in a nutshell. <laughs> I would go out and do 10 minutes of juggling. And we did okay. And then I decided to do a little introduction <laughs> at the beginning of the juggling. And that went over pretty well. So then it would be two minutes of me talking and 10 minutes of juggling. <laughs> and then I started talking more and more and more in the juggling act to my two partners who were just standing there silently <laughs> doing nothing. <laughs> well, I talked about juggling in a funny way. I remember I, I had a, my girlfriend, and I was still a good friend of mine, and in high school, and we were going to go and be intellectuals in Europe or something. I was very ashamed of being funny. That wasn't what I was really going to do. And then when she broke up with me, as an act of rebellion against my girlfriend, I sent in an application to Clown College. <laughs> Ringling Brothers? <laughs> Ringling Brothers, Barnum Bill, the greatest show on earth, Clown College. Oh. <laughs> wow. That's, that's a, uh, wow. And that was my way of saying, fuck you, if the world wants me to be funny, God damn it, I'll be funny. Did you get in? Uh, yes, which incidentally, at the time, was the hardest college to get into the country in terms of the number of people applied. Right. Uh, I mean, not in any sort of real sense, but it's one sort of number sense. And I was the youngest person to get in, and I also was the last one chosen, which they made very clear to me. And I was only chosen because I was a good juggler, mm -hmm. which they were trying to cheat me into the circus on a cheaper salary as a good juggler. So I got down to clown college. And Florida, that, right? Florida, yeah. Uh, I was actually in Venice, but they claimed it was Sarasota to keep people away. But it was in Venice, Florida. And I arrived there, um, just, just turned 18 or 17. I arrived at Clown College, and there were 40 other people there. And I had never, ever, ever met someone that talked seriously about comedy. I would try to talk about comedy with my high school friends. I remember trying to talk about National Lampoon. I sat with my friends, National Lampoon, going through and saying, this is the point they're making here, this is what they're doing here. And they go, hey, it's just funny, man. That's all I would get from anybody. Yeah, what do you mean? It's just funny. Fuck it, funny. And I would try to play the Lenny Bruce records. What's he doing here? Just funny. So I was pulled into that. I got down there, and I tried to talk about why something was funny, and everybody knew more than me. And they'd say, oh, well, this is kind of like the Marx Brothers. And I'd say, Marx Brothers? And they go, no, no, we, we got to watch some Marx Brothers. You know, <laughs> I go, oh, yo, that's, oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> and that was where it opened up. And that's where it kind of weirdly all, all kind of came together. And I was also found out, I should add, that I was an incredibly bad clown. And I was incredibly bad at physical comedy. Which, how, how are you at juggling, though, on the scale uh, by their record? I was the best. You, you were the best at your clown college. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, head and shoulders. Really, really fucking good. Well, you were insane about practicing and everything. Mm -hmm. You wanted to be the best juggler. I was really good, yeah. And by the time I worked with Mike Motion and I was 18 years old, we were arguably the best club passers there were. Okay, so I'm and then I also thought, okay. I also thought, well, now that we're really good at club passing, now we can do nine, the two of us, now we'll be able to work anywhere. <laughs> I really believe that. Really believe that. You know, you got this good, and then, okay, you just got to do that. Well, what we're going to do right now, we got more to talk about, but for right now, we're going to say that was Ped Sunday School. That was Ped Sunday School. Cha cha cha. And to our listening, you become naked. No, we love you. You got anybody to thank there, uh, Matt? Yes, I do. Time to thank the loyal members of the congregation who support us over on Patreon.com slash pen. Will Jason, Luke Holmes, Sunday Sinnerpod, Tristan Connett, Omar Rivera, Veal Erichelia, Aaron Boyd, Mason Gooch, Sagebrush, Matthew Mishu, Luke Mellon, Eileen Hunter, Jason Andrew Davidson, Peter B. Clark, Average Seal, Matt Williams, Tony Office McQueen, Soapy Fresh, Dang Griffith, Brad Sherlag, Mike Cavanaugh, Rafiki, 
Steve Feldman, Jonathan P, NewRuleFX.com. I just went to that site. It is awesome. Eric M. Ryan, Krista Hatchapi Loop McKinney, Gary Cornley, Hey Goudeau, does this rag smell like chloroform to you, Ruse? Matthew O'Sullivan, Betsy Batter, Little Mandar. If Freddie Rich was already rich, would uh, Rich, Ready, Rich, Richly Enrich the Unrich? Joseph R. Bowers, Adam Stickney, Sex Guy Jimmy D, Nathan Julian, Petty Officer Scoop, Daniel, Why Don't Blind People Skydive? Uh, it scares the shit out of their dogs. David K, David Peters, it's pronounced turmeric, chipotle, federal court order, YouTube offer, culinary chimera, but go on. <laughs> Brandon Knapp, Nick Dingman, Colin Durham, Central Park Al, Lancey Minshew, Stephen White, Harlan Liam Clark, and Michelle Yeiser. Thank you so much.